Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ever wonder what psychologists talk about over coffee? I'm Debbie Sorensen, a clinical psychologist in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, where I specialize in rehab and health psychology and acceptance and commitment therapy. And I'm Diana Hill, a clinical psychologist in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California, where I specialize in mindfulness and values-based approaches to therapy. In this podcast, we bring psychology research into practice by discussing topics from psychology with experts in the field and with each other. You'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. This is Debbie Sorensen, and I'm here with Diana Hill on our last episode of the year for 2017. And what we decided to do for tonight is to just have a kind of a wrap up episode where we check in about how the podcast is going, um, kind of a state of the podcast update. And we have some questions from our listeners that we want to answer, and we're going to ask and answer a few questions to each other about our lives off the clock and talk about a few ideas we have for future directions for our podcast. Um, But to start with, I have to say, I'm really just kind of surprised and grateful that we're actually doing this right now, because as you know, Diana is in Santa Barbara and is in a bit of an unusual circumstance right at the moment. Diana, tell us what's going on. Well, probably as the whole, you know, country knows, we've been in a major fire situation and the fire has gotten pretty close to Santa Barbara and where I live is up in the foothills of Santa Barbara where the fire is sort of burning in our our back country. So we actually evacuated last week and we are on sort of nomads right now with a not knowing when we're going to be returning home. So it's been an interesting experience during the holidays to have your pull your kids out and um, even in the evacuation process of choosing what we were going to choose to fill up our fairly small car with. Um, and we, I had, I think I gave, I sent, did I send you the text of what we took? You did. Debbie? Yeah. Yeah. So it's the picture of yeah. the few items. Yeah. Uh-huh. It all fit on our, uh, our coffee table in our living room of, and you, it really does point, I think, to values when you start collecting the items, uh, thinking about what is it that from this house that, that is what is important to us. And uh, we also each gave the kids a shoebox before we left and said that they could fill things with, with fill the shoebox with their um, important things to them. And, and it's sort of Aww. interesting to look at what they, what they choose to put in there too. So it's been a lot of sort of a whole roller coaster of emotions and part of I think was actually helpful is just to have some level of normalcy and part of that is for us to move forward and still have our episode. Um, I also just wanted to say that there is definitely when you go through something like this a sense of community and just a huge amount of gratitude for the men and women that are staying up all night leaving you know their area 
their homes to protect our home and our community and our little town. So I am so mm. incredibly grateful to them. And they're out there right now protecting our home. And it's I was actually watching the firefighters last night uh, do their nightly briefing. And that's one of the things that they said is, what is it that that helps them in terms of their collaboration? And they said it's a common purpose, which is to, to take care of communities. So it all comes down to meaning and purpose and uh, yeah. just really grateful. So, yeah, so that's, here we are. Yeah, I think that's really touching, you know, to see people sort of coming together in this way through a really hard circumstance and find some meaning in it. It's yeah. it's really, there's resilience right there for you, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, best wishes to you, Diana. I hope you guys make through make it through this okay. And to all of our listeners in California, because I know a lot of people out there who have been impacted by this. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be a yeah. challenging holiday for a lot of a lot of people that lost their homes or have to be evacuated from their homes. So thinking for about sure. all of you out yeah. there and um, hope that it it is contained soon. So yeah, yeah, yeah I hope so. Well, thanks for the update, and thanks mm-hmm. again for making time for this in the midst of all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's uh, move on and talk about the state of the podcast. We just wanted to take a few minutes to do, I think, a little update of what we've been kind of up to, um, and just reflecting back on the year of doing this this project. Um, and I don't know, Diana, what you want to say. I, I would say that to me, we've really worked. I think a year ago you know, we, we, it was very new to us. And so I feel like we've worked on different changes. We've, you know, worked on different formats and we're kind of getting into a bit of a groove with it. I don't know what you think. Yeah. It's been fun to have these different iterations and, and get sort of more of our dynamic figured out of how we want to go back and forth with each other and what we like to do and what, uh, what episodes are fun for us. And I think definitely the change in terms of us, connecting in every episode has been nice because it's just an opportunity for you and I to catch up and stay, have that continuity. And I was so surprised. I sent it to you when the APA monitor had a, uh, article <laughs> on how to start a psychology podcast. Cause we were like, Oh no, well. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know what, we started a psychology podcast without a how to manual and that was pretty, pretty cool. So things have changed. Yeah. And one of the major changes was Ray and, uh, we haven't mentioned it on the podcast, but Ray was uh, definitely one of the, I guess, the founders of our of our podcast way back in the spa days when we first met and the day we met at the spa. And she, over time, it became that she had a lot on her plate and was, you know, making decisions around her own values and her own work-life balance and decided to step back. But she, we, the door is open for her to return and we hope she does as as she has space and and is uh, available to. So we miss Ray. Yeah, and, and yeah, we do. She's our good friend to both of ours. And, and we have really appreciated the work she's done on this during a time when she was just very busy with a lot of things. So we'll hope we'll be able to hook her back in for some more episodes yeah. down the road. Yeah, and we have some great episodes coming up in the new year already lined up. One of the ones that I'm really excited about will be our new episode in the new year with Jason Lillis, who is a pretty um, well-known psychologist that studies weight loss and in particular studies uh, acceptance and commitment therapy in relationship to weight loss. So he'll be taking a, a new uh, approach to weight loss for your New Year's resolutions, and we'll be he'll be up next in the new year. And then I also know you have some 
ideas and, and people lined up as well, Debbie. Yeah, we're going to, um, we have an, an episode coming up on chronic pain and this kind of psychological aspects of that. And I have um, some ideas to do a little bit of a series on sleep, mm-hmm. something I've just been exploring. Mm-hmm. And just some books we've read, I've been reading Alone Together who, by an expert at MIT on um, kind of technology and how technology is impacting all of us and our, you know, We've talked about this before on the podcast, but wanted to maybe do a little bit more with that. And so, yeah, we have some kind of just ideas, a couple episodes in the works and a couple of other ideas. And we're also really open to hearing from our listeners um, who we also want to thank because we've appreciated the support along the way and people who who have, um, you know, been following us. Um, but also if any of our listeners come up with ideas for topics they that you would like to hear about. We'd love to, you know, get your suggestions. We got some questions to go over today, but are also, you know, always looking for ideas for topics for episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So well, reach out, ask us questions on Facebook or however you like to, to reach us. And we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And let's get started with, with the mailbag. We're going to be sharing some questions from listeners and then Debbie and I each have some questions for each other. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to start. The first one that I'm going to throw out there is actually sort of a combination of um, like a similar question that came from two people. So I kind of like reworked it into one. So I hope that's okay. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) here's the question. How do we make peace when we engage in behaviors that aren't really consistent with our own values? Like the example a listener gave was caring about the environment, but doing something that we know isn't good for the environment. Or when we hear evidence that goes against our beliefs and, and kind of the combination question with that was how powerful are human instincts to believe what we want to believe when there's evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start by answering this one just by talking about the concept of cognitive dissonance, because I think that's what really this listener is alluding to. And cognitive dissonance is uh, a term that was actually established in the 1950s by a psychologist, Leon Festinger, and he was interested particularly in behavior change and what motivates behavior change. So cognitive dissonance occurs when we hold more than one belief, idea, or value, and they conflict with each other. So the conflict by holding two different beliefs or believing something and behaving in a way that's different than your belief causes a lot of stress. And this stress actually motivates you to either change the way your belief in some way or change your behavior. So it's this internal inconsistency is really uncomfortable. So for example, an example of cognitive dissonance may be, say you value spending a lot of time with your kids, but you have a really demanding job that you really care about too, and you're also spending a lot of time late at work. That would cause some stress for you. I think it's a common experience that a lot of people have. So you can uh-huh. either yep. <laughs> change your thoughts to reduce the dissonance or change your behavior. And actually, this is the foundation of, a, of um, motivational interviewing. We actually, psychologists, want to increase cognitive uh, dissonance when people are engaging in behaviors like, say, their um, alcoholism or drug use or other health, health-related behaviors. There's a whole form of uh, psychology intervention where you ask specific questions to make people feel distress <laughs> around their, uh-huh. their behavior and their actions. So that's what this woman is, uh, the question um, that, that she wrote in about is alluding to. 
And it, uh, it, it's a good question. And I don't know if you want to add anything to this, Debbie, when I, I can talk a little bit more about it. Well, I mean, I think that it's really like something that we're seeing. I think cognitive distance is part of what we're seeing with, you know, I think we can all acknowledge there's a political divide in our country today. I think that, you know, this is something we see where people gravitate sometimes more automatically toward the the information in the news or whatever that's really consistent with their own worldview to avoid cognitive dissonance, Mm -hmm. you know? So people talk sometimes about an echo chamber where people only kind of talk with people who have like-minded views. And I think it can be uncomfortable sometimes to actually engage with or listen to people who have a different point of view than their own. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we see it Mm -hmm. in our society. Yeah. So what do we do about it? And going back to the question of the person that maybe is really cares about the environment, but is not, uh, you know, always following that. Maybe they're not recycling or they're using paper plates at dinner, right? One way to make peace with cognitive dissonance um, is to go back again to values. And a lot of times, I think that's where Debbie, you and I go because we're act therapists, but you go back to your values and they look at what are the values between each of those. Um, so there may be a value around the environment, but then also what is the value that you're maybe engaging in by not operating in line with the environment? So say you're using paper plates because you want to have more time with your family rather than washing dishes, right? And being flexible with yourself around those values and either changing your behavior, which would be stopping the paper plates, which would then you'd have to have a little bit of discomfort and, and sit with the discomfort around washing dishes and maybe even move into some acceptance. Or you can change the way you think about it and rationalize for yourself. Okay, well, this is every once in a while. I'm, you know, helpful in the environment in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just think that we, we all can kind of day by day do our best. Mm -hmm. And then when we can and don't live our values in whatever domain you're talking about, um, you know, there's a place there for recognizing that we're only human and having some self-compassion, not putting the whole weight of the world on our own shoulders. Um, And then try again tomorrow. You know, it's like you always have the chance to start fresh the next day, but but let let yourself off the hook a little bit if you aren't doing things perfectly. You know, and that's part no of one's perfect. And yeah, imperfection yeah. is part of self-compassion. So, yeah, okay, absolutely. So, okay, I, so we, I have a oh, related question for you, which came from another listener and, uh, which is how can I have good family relationships when there are fundamental worldview differences like political viewpoints? Yeah, this is a question that I've, so many people have kind of raised just lately. I mean, it's so poignant right now. I think in uh, around the holiday season and just in general with the political environment that's going on, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, I think what I would recommend is just start by thinking about your own values. We always keep going back to values, right, <laughs> <Yeah>. Diana? <laughs> right. So think before you get into a situation, like if you know you're going to see, you know, a certain family member where you don't see eye to eye or, or a group of family members, just before you even go into that situation, think about what's important to you. You know, if this is a really important relationship in your life, then then that's your value. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are times when it feels really important to your values to speak up about something, um, that 
there might be situations in with which that's really important to you. And sometimes multiple things will be important to you, but I think it's it's a good idea to take a look at that so that when you get into that situation, at least your own actions are are guided by your values mm-hmm. and you might choose how you're going to be in that situation mm-hmm. depending on what you come up with. And I also think if you go down to the basic values, you may find, especially if you do some practice of perspective taking, that the people that you have political differences with actually may hold the same values. So for example... Um, there's actually this, have you heard the sting song where he sings Russians love their children too? I think it was, I think I it was know. probably done in the, um, <laughs> during like the, the cold war. And that kind of sounds yeah, familiar, but there's I a line I can't, I can't play someone yeah. can write in which sing song that is this, but he talks about if, if, if the only knew that Russians love their children too, then basically it would stop, it would stop the war, you know, because yeah. it's this understanding that. People that have different political values from you may be seeking the exact, I mean, p- political viewpoints, maybe seeking or may have the same underlying value. Maybe the undervaluing value is their family and wanting to protect and care for their family or the prosperity of our country or the safety of our country or, you know, so underneath it may be similar, but then it comes out in different viewpoints. And so if you can do some perspective taking to see what's underneath the actual um, worldview, it may be helpful. So that's one thing. I think the other, um, uh, in especially in family settings, we can become search engines for the negative and search engines for the differences. And then that's what we end up rehearsing and repeating and, you know, talking about with our partners in the other room or, you know, whatever. And rather than being a search engine for the negative in these family dynamics, these family interactions, what if you were a search engine for something else? And that may actually grow the other thing that that you would want, maybe looking for things, looking for humor or looking for um, warmth or looking for, uh, you know, other positive aspects of being together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just in enjoying some of the other moments that come up and focusing less on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think if, if you're doing all this and for whatever reason, whether it's your values or just because it's unavoidable, if the conversation does start to get kind of heated, you know, but, and it's important to you to maintain the relationship. Um, it's just a really good time to practice good communication skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like staying respectful, not getting into personal attacks, you know, calling the people an idiot or whatever, because they don't agree with you. Um, you know, keeping your own emotions sort of regulated and calm instead of getting really heated. Um, you know, those are all just important ways to stay sort of grounded so that you can have a conversation without leading to relationship damage, which is, is hard. I think when you, when two people care passionately and have different viewpoints, I also think it's important, especially with the holidays, if it's a potentially kind of heated situation to just be careful about things like alcohol use, because that can make people, you know, start to act more extreme in their anger. So yeah, yeah, your inhibition. Yeah. Okay. All right. So do you want to, actually, I'll I'll read the next one because I think you're going to answer this one, which is um, from another listener that said, I would love to learn more about the psychological component of chronic pain, which psychological strategies have scientific support, CBT, ACT, or others. Also, any advice, tips, or strategies for 
close caretakers who would be appreciated. My husband is 38 and suffers from chronic back pain, and his discomfort features prominently in our daily lives. So can you talk a little bit about chronic pain and your thoughts on that, Debbie? Yeah, definitely. I have um, worked a little bit in the chronic pain world for a while and so have some some knowledge there. And actually, the timing is so perfect because of the fact that we have this upcoming episode. I interviewed um, a psychologist, Dr. Adrian Sloan, about using um, about basically about chronic pain and some of the psychological aspects of that. So it's perfect timing. And I would definitely encourage you to keep look, keep a lookout for that episode, because it'll be we'll address exactly what you're talking about. Um, But just in a nutshell, I'll just say, you know, there are some good treatments for psychological treatments for chronic pain. And ideally, if possible, you know, if you have the right medical, um, you know, treatments available, what we really prefer is people to be seen on sort of an interdisciplinary pain team to address the medical issues, you know, medications, psychological, um, potentially physical therapy or something like that. So, so if possible, that's, that's kind of the ideal. Um, but then, you know, pain really does have a psychological component too, especially in how it impacts our thinking and our mood and our lives and our functioning. So um, the two main treatments, kind of the more traditional one is cognitive behavioral therapy for chronic pain. And um, the other one I know about, of course, is acceptance and commitment therapy, which is our both of our approaches, um, which also has, they both have good solid research evidence supporting them. Um, and there, there's some differences. I think ACT is more um, acceptance-based, whereas cognitive behavioral therapy is more sort of change-based. But, um, you know, I'd encourage you to, to kind of maybe take a look at both and listen to our episode with Adrian and see what appeals to you, because I think either one would be um, potentially helpful. And, and in the episode, Oh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, what about MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction? Kobatsen? Oh, yeah, that's another good one. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of especially highlights the mindfulness piece of it, which is part of acceptance and commitment therapy mm-hmm. for pain is that you do a lot of mindfulness work. Um, and that MBSR approach really focuses mostly on the mindfulness practice as a, a way to change your relationship with your pain. There's um, lots of resources struggle. online. Yeah, for that mm-hmm. one, there's yeah. even there's That's a great book, great "Full Catastrophe: Full Catastrophe Living," by Kabat Zinn, which would be would be a nice one if you wanted to just maybe for a holiday gift get something <laughs> going. That yeah. could be another great option idea. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because that didn't come to mind. I think because uh, I'm so embedded in the the act and CBT, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are other approaches as well, but those those are some good ones for sure. Um, and so, yeah, and and you know what? When you listen to the episode with Dr. Sloan, we're going to talk about some strategies that are that are important, like some breathing and mindfulness exercises, um, taking a look at some dysfunctional thoughts people sometimes have around their pain that they can get really stuck in, and things like pacing out your activity level so that you can maintain a a nice level of functioning. So stay tuned for that. Or I'm excited about because I think it's a topic that a lot of people struggle with. Great. That sounds like it's gonna be super helpful. Thank you for doing yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our, our next question is one that maybe if listeners, if you have small children listening, that you might want to turn it off now and listen to this privately. Yeah. <laughs> Because we don't want to ruin anyone's holidays here with this one. <laughs> topic for 
for children and the holidays. Hint, hint. Hint. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So the next question is, with the holidays upon us, is perpetuating Santa, the Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, etc., these myths, are they damaging to parent credibility with children? Oh, I told Diana before we recorded, this is the one that I feel like is so controversial <laughs> <laughs> of all the things we're going to talk about. Oh, it's funny. Uh-huh. Um, so Diana, do you guys do like Santa or Elf on the Shelf and all that stuff in your household? We don't do Elf on the Shelf because it's just too much work for mom, but we do. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't That either. sounds like too much. Don't do Elf on the Shelf. Um, I admire people that do that. Uh, we do do Santa. Yes. And, yeah, we, and just- we are believers. <laughs> We do Santa too, not Elf on the Shelf, partly for me. It's it's also that kind of effort thing, but it's also the, um, to me, Elf on the Shelf has a hint of like, there's someone watching you all the time that I find a little, I don't like it Yeah. Um, <laughs> personally, but you know, okay, so what, what we thought we'd do, we're not, we're going to kind of like, you know, we're not going to take a strong stand either way, but we're going to just talk a little bit about the concern here um, that is... So, so some people are concerned that, that this is really a pattern of lying to your children. (laughs) And I mean, it is true that in general, um, you know, kids really need adults that they can trust in their lives. I think this is like a crucial thing for development and it's really important to be, you know, generally honest and trustworthy with, with your kids. Um, And so just to kind of to present this side of the argument, I actually asked an early child educator that I know, and she said that she did not do Santa when her children were really young because of that untruthful piece. She just felt that that was the wrong tack. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, never did that and had to kind of explain to her kids, oh, you know, basically don't, (laughs) don't tell anybody else, Um, which was a challenge. But Mm Um, yeah, so that that's kind of the concern there. And the flip side of that, I mean, I think that a lot of people, you know, think, well, that's, it's, that alone is probably not that big of a deal. If they generally have trustworthy adults, this isn't going to have a huge negative impact on, on a child. And I'm definitely not aware of any developmental research that definitively no. shows, that, you know, that's going to like cause psychological damage. Right. Um, <laughs> But, you know, some people actually kind of find a middle ground there. I think they look at it more like, um, you know, like a cultural kind of fantasy play thing, like a mythical creature mm-hmm. that's sort of in good fun, that captures this sort of magical fun mm-hmm. element of mm-hmm. childhood. And there's a little bit of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think kids kind of get that it's sort of a fun thing. And it connects us to, for a lot of us, like for me, to my own sort of childhood experience. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I don't know. I To me, it kind of takes it to another level, I think, when it's used to scare kids into good behavior, to kind of used as a way to get them to be, to like coerce them into good behavior or obedience. Right, um, that you get sort of for the month of December, you can displace your parenting onto Santa. Like, oh, if, you, if you're noisy in the store, Santa's not going to get you any presents this year if you don't right. do well in school, you know, so... Yeah, that yeah. that's can be a displacement of of parental uh, uh, obligations there, and that's not always the healthiest parenting strategy. Uh, and certainly, I mean, I, I can see you know the 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 perspective around wanting to tell the truth, and it, it there is a point in time where it starts to feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially when your children are a little bit older. So my second one's a little bit older, and he's starting to question, 
right? And so can I look him in the eyes and say, there is a Santa Claus, <laughs> I promise you? I mean, that would feel uncomfortable, right? I would be feeling like I'm blatantly, blatantly lying to him. But I can ask him questions like, well, what do you think? Or what do you notice about about what I what ideas do you have around how Santa would get in our house if there were a Santa? Or how do you how do what do you think about the fact that there's, you know, a hundred different Santa Clauses in our town that are on at each mall, you know, that are right, they all look right. a little bit different, right? And being able to encourage some of the those questions so that he can come to the conclusion himself and and also, you know, what does Santa mean to you? What what are the things that you enjoy about the the message or the story of Santa Claus? And it is a story. So children are storytellers and, and really in early on the, the the difference between real and story and, and magical and make-believe is sort of somewhat fluid. And developmentally, they, they move out of that. And as they move out of that, so does the myth of Santa Claus. It sort of naturally yeah. happens. Whereas some psychologists, like the article that we read, they were saying, oh, this is going to be a huge, devastating event, like, you know, traumatic for them to find out there was no Santa Claus. I'm not really sure if that's the case for all children. And I think right. as a parent, if you encourage questioning and encourage children to go through their own process with it, it they'll be fine. And certainly yeah. being honest in, in all, of, in, 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 you know, being honest with them in all areas as well, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And generally trustworthy to me yeah. is a more knowing that they can count on you to take care of them and to be generally honest is much more important than this. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. My, my five-year-old one day, she was like, this was a while ago. She was like, mommy, our mermaid's real. <laughs> and I oh, said, yeah. do you want to know the real truth or the pretend truth? And she got that. And she's uh -huh. like, I want to know the real truth. And I told her, no, they're not real. And then she said, okay, I, now I want to know the pretend truth. And I said, they're real. You know, <laughs> right. so it's like, is she, I think kids are kind of, a, that's a pretty cognitively sophisticated yeah. thing. I think they can actually get that. So I right. think, and I it's think confusing they, to you know, them because my, understand that. my four-year-old has asked me, he asked me a while ago, mommy, are soldiers real? Ah, or they make believe, yeah. right? Because there's so many things that are real and make believe and, and they're trying to sort it out. Like which box yeah. does this go in? Yeah. You know, yeah, and and <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's a soldier because those are things that we you know that people play with, and so it's it's all, uh, yeah, yeah. As long as done <laughs> we'll done in good fun, <laughs> right? Okay, well, I think that's it for our question section from the listeners, and so now we're just going to do some kind of like fun rapid fire questions to each other. Yeah, I'm excited. Are you ready? Let's go for, go it. for it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you one first, Anna. Okay. Sure. Ready? Mm -hmm. What three books did you read off the clock this year that had the biggest impact on you? Okay. Well, the first book, you know, because I sent it to you in early January of the year, it was sort of my book of the year, is The Bear That Wasn't by Frank Tashlin. And actually, it is a children's book. And it had when I read it, it had a huge emotional impact on me because the story in the book is one of a bear that, uh, who goes, he basically goes into hibernate and a factory is built on top of him. And then he's told that he's not a bear and then he's, and that he should work in the factory. And then he starts believing that for himself because he's been told it so many times. And then the end of the story is that he finds his way back to hibernation again it had a huge impact on me and uh, we ended up doing sort of a little retreat around it with our, our group of friends. And I highly recommend it if you have kids or just for yourself to grab and, and read it. 
It's lovely. It was so sweet of you to share it with us because it's really a touching, it, it really gets you thinking. It gets you thinking. And I have a whole series yeah. of questions that go with it. So if you email me, I'll send you the questions that go, like the sort of the oh, journal idea. writing of questions. I've been using it with clients as well. Yeah, yeah. Diana sends you a gift and then she gets you, use you know, gets you some soul searching around it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next uh, book that really shaped uh, my year was definitely Katie Bowman's Move Your DNA. And I've talked a lot about Katie Bowman on this podcast, but it really launched me into a whole new way of living this year that I'm, I'm continuing to live. And our family has made a lot of changes around our movement. And that book in particular uh, gives a great rationale about why we all need to be moving more and how we can move more naturally. So I highly recommend that. And it's she has a, a number of different books. That would be the one I would recommend starting with. There is also one that she has called Dynamic Aging, which is really, really is a wonderful book uh, uh, for, I would say, probably age 50 and up uh, that also talks about movement as we age. And well, then, Diana, you yeah. would be proud of me too, because guess what? I'm standing You're right standing. Now. Oh my gosh. I'm standing I'm so at a standing desk. I still have a couch and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Good, good, good. I am proud of you for that. And then the last one is uh, The Power of Meaning by Emily Estefani Smith. And that's actually one that I just picked up since in the last like two weeks and it is uh, an, a good one that has a lot of um, sort of links to values and, and the pursuit of meaning over the pursuit of happiness. So I recommend that one. And can I do one more? <laughs> yes. One more. It's just hey, the one it's that I just got. You can the do last it. one you can is, do four. <laughs> is the, the Hidden Life of Trees. This is a really sweet one that my mom recommended to me uh, by Peter Woolaben, W-H- W-O-H-L-L-E-B-E-N. We'll put these all on our website, The Hidden Life of Trees. And it's about how trees feel and how they communicate. And it's a really calming, sweet story to read. Hmm. So those are my favorite books. All right. Okay. So I have a question for you, Debbie. Okay. We've talked a lot in lots of different episodes about behavior change and how it's really hard. And I wanted to know what behavior changes you're currently working on and how they're going. Well, the one I'm really focusing on right now, I feel like there's a few that are always there, you know, exercise more, eat better, blah, blah, blah. But I'm really kind of working on trying to um, just get more quantity of sleep. I read this book recently that is, I want to, I want to mention earlier, I want to do a little series on sleep for the podcast, um, why we sleep. And it really just emphasized how our culture is so sleep deprived and how sleep has all these amazing benefits. And so I just went through this period of just sleeping like a full, you know, seven to eight hours every single night. And I felt amazing. Um, so I'm working on that. I would really like to make that more of regular practice and how it's going. Um, the timing is bad because (laughs) with the holidays, I've had kind of a busy week. And so I've, I've like the last few days have not quite gotten there. Mm -hmm. Um, but in general, you know, I'm, I think I'm getting a little better and I really want to keep working on it. I just, it's amazing when you're totally rested and you get out of bed in the morning, you feel so good. Mm -hmm. So that's the one I'm hoping in the new year to really, um, you know, keep working on. Great. Well, we'll continue. And more. Yes. Yeah. Stay tuned about that um, when we talk about sleep on the podcast a little bit more because it's a fascinating book. Great. 
All right. Diana, question for you. What three health behaviors? I know you're really into the health behaviors. So what three? <laughs> what three had the most really positive impact on you this year? I know you love them. You're so good about them. Okay. It's what like are the a hobby three for the year? It is. It's I have a health thing. behavior hobby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yes. Well, obviously. Okay. So mine are related to um, Katie Bowman, obviously. So certainly going furniture free was one of them. Getting a morning practice going has been, this is actually something that was launched from our podcast. And it was actually one of the podcasts that we recorded, but then we recorded over because it really wasn't very good. <laughs> but we, <laughs> the first, we the do first this. Of, sometimes we, we re-record if we just really can't stand it. And it was early on, but early on, one of, I think the behaviors that I had wanted to work on was how am I, how can I get myself journaling? And now doing writing and doing meditation and breathing, breathing meditation and writing in the morning has had a huge positive impact on, on me. And it just really uh, shapes my day. And then the last one is really making an effort to have contact with nature and having that be throughout the day and just paying more attention to nature, even in areas that have very little nature. So can I mm -hmm. pay attention to birds or trees or uh, even bees. So I love it. Yeah. yeah, that there's that great book about the, you know, the nature on our brains. And we did an episode on that, too. And I have to say, I'm really fascinated by your, your morning routine. So someday we're going to do a podcast on Diana's morning practice, or how to develop your own morning practice. Because <laughs> yeah. it's something that yeah. I've been working on with clients. And it's really wonderful to see how different clients develop different practices. And some of them are going back to maybe uh, religious rituals that they did when they were children or, you know, and pulling those back in or, uh, you know, different a way to start your morning that feeds your soul and your mind and uh, very different than starting your morning by reading the newsfeed. So. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. I can't wait. Yeah. Okay. I have a question for you, which is what three psychological tools did you use most this year? Okay. So I was thinking long and hard about this because I was like, oh my gosh, it's hard to, hard to come up with three, but okay. So one, I've really been working on my own emotional openness. Um, just like really taking a look at, at certain areas that I tend to kind of avoid and just, just kind of allow those hard motions to be there, other people's pain, just the uncomfortable stuff, even taking a look at, you know, some of my, um, you know, blind spots in different areas like work and whatnot, and just trying to really be open to that um, more. So that's, that's one. And that's a good old fashioned act concept, right? Is kind of willingness. Um, so I've been practicing that. I have been working on some of those behavior change tools that we um, were talking about a minute ago, like just when certain automatic behaviors start to happen, just to bring more awareness into it and to just be a little bit more flexible around behavior patterns, um, you know. Um, so that's been a helpful tool, you know, um, that we've talked a lot about on the podcast. And then the third one is just being more I don't know if this is really a psychological tool per se, but I've just really been working on um, speaking up in certain contexts, even when I feel like self-doubt or I feel uncomfortable doing so. Mm. Um, sort of just speaking up um, about 
and so I could think of a few examples of this, but to me, this is something that that's been a real work in progress for me. Wonderful. So yeah, those are the three. Awesome. All right. So Diana, a ways back, um, months ago when we, we did an episode and you mentioned trying to, to use your 10 minutes in between your clients in a way, um, that's, that's more sort of rejuvenating. So what are the strategies you're using in your 10 minutes between your client sessions that, that have been most helpful to you? Yes. Well, the first strategy is actually making 10 minutes between clients <laughs> happen. <laughs> and that's actually yeah. been an Achilles heel of mine for years. And I think that this year I've gotten much better at it. If there's any clients listening, they can hold me to it. Uh, I told them I'd want to try and make my 10 minutes uh, a time where I am um, rejuvenating myself between clients so that that I can serve them better, right? So mm-hmm. first of all is ending my sessions on time. But during those 10 minutes, I am doing a slew of things and most of them actually do not, I don't write my note. So I don't write my note between clients. I actually reserve all my write, my note writing for another period of time. And instead, one thing that I do is I keep a lacrosse ball. I started with uh, tennis balls, but I actually prefer lacrosse balls. I keep a couple lacrosse balls in my office. And between clients, I'm doing some foot rolling. So I'm putting the, the, the lacrosse ball on the ground, taking off my shoes and just rolling my foot, stepping on it and doing a nice um, fascia release on my foot. Or I'm doing rolling on my back against the wall. And... <laughs> sometimes it's kind of odd if they see me come in, but that's, that's, you know, it's just, they get that when I'm their therapist, they know it. Another uh, <laughs> practice, I have a It's treat. a small price to pay to have you for a therapist, yeah. Diana. She, she put rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I do is I have a tree outside with a nice limb and I will go hang from my tree, a la Katie Bowman, uh, because that's a really good way to just like open up your body and help. They think therapists sit a lot. So our backs actually need a lot of tending to because we're sitting so much. Uh, so doing some hanging is really nice for, for my spine and my back. And then the last uh, practice is one that I learned a long time ago when I was studying at the yoga ashram, which is a practice called tension reliever. And it's basically where you put your arms down at your sides and you touch your fingertips to the ground and you take a deep breath in. And then as you exhale, you imagine all the tension and the stress moving down your arms and dripping out of your fingertips into the earth and it just being absorbed. And that's in part Mm -hmm. also just to transition some of the, whether there was pain or anxiety or tension or depression that I was, you know, working with, with, with one client and moving into the next one that I can just release that from my body and be present and aware for the next client. So those are my, my three favorites, uh, there you go. <laughs> I think those are could be useful for um, anyone who spends a lot of time sitting, like yes. at the computer or between, you know, if you're in healthcare or a psychologist or whatever, um, therapist between patients, but also people who like sit all day could take a five minute break now and then it'd be really good. Right. And making yeah. that five minute break, not sitting on your phone, but making it a break that yes. actually can restore you. And I find that when I do that throughout my day, and that there's a fourth one because I'm kind of breaking the rules, which is I will, I, I often walk down my lane and back. And just that little, like it's, it takes seven minutes to get down, down to the mailbox and back. That little break, if I do that throughout the day multiple times and do the tension reliever and the foot rolling, I feel at the end of the day like I haven't got run over by a truck. If I don't do that, I feel like I've gotten run over by a truck because you need to have rest- restoration throughout your day, not just at the end of the day. 
Okay. I need to start working on this, uh-huh. Diana. Yes. Inspiring me again. <laughs> New Year's res. New Year's resolution. Take care of yourself throughout your day. Yeah. It no, it's true. Difference. It's true. Although, no, no, the hanging from the tree is a little harder. I don't have a tree <laughs> hand, but that's okay. 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 Let's ask each other a question. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you first, Diana, what's one off the clock activity that you are interested in that has nothing to do with psychology or health behaviors? <laughs> <laughs> I had to add that in there. Okay, well, it, it may have it may have both psychology and health behaviors involved in it, but it is bee- okay. beekeeping. Keeping, really? So we're getting a hive. Oh, <laughs> and actually, yeah, I can see that. Yes, you can see it. And I've we really I've really gotten interested in bees and honey, and the whole bees are just these. They're they one they're amazing in that they are the source of all of our food, right? And also the community of of how bees interact with each other in this beautiful collaborative way. I had an opportunity to do this uh, training in beekeeping and we watched them as they were making their hive and actually making the wax. They link up their legs into a chain and lower down maybe five or six or seven bees to the bottom of the chain to put the wax on the, on the um, comb, on the honeycomb. And it was the most beautiful thing to see of this way that bees collaborate with each other. So it is a form of psychology. So I'm really oh excited. Gosh, bees are so fascinating. They're the fascinating. way they operate as groups. Yes. I read something about this recently. It's amazing. Yes. So yeah. we are at this, our attention, we're, we're learning about bees, we're getting our suits, <laughs> and <laughs> we're getting some hives. <laughs> so I'll keep wow. you posted. That's what's happening off That's the clock. How about, <laughs> how about for you, Debbie? Well, I love art. And I mean, I guess that isn't totally unrelated to psychology either, but I used to paint and I'm not good. I'm not well, but like, I love taking painting classes and I just have not been doing a whole lot of that um, since I had kids that um, I took a photography class and I'm kind of I don't know trying to find ways to just bring more creative parts of my I, myself in you know like sketching and photography and okay. someday I'd like to get back to painting classes when I have a little bit more room for it so I didn't know that about you that's super cool oh yeah thanks yeah it's, it's hard to do art when you have young kids that's d- certainly true that can get lost well, especially the kind that involves like, you know, turpentine and paint. <laughs> so you do oil painting. Like, yeah. Wow. That's super cool. Okay. Well, I haven't in a few years though, well, but I've, what I've started doing, well, the photography, I'm trying to do a little bit more of that. And then I've started just doing more sketching because all you cool. need is a piece of paper and a pencil. Yeah. So it's a lot easier. We're going to have to hit you so, up for an art lesson on our next retreat. Uh, I don't think I'm qualified. For or at leading us, like like bringing the okay. supplies, and, and we can all okay. I can do that. Kind of fumble that. along, but that would be so fun. I okay, love it. Cool. Well, I support you cool. in that in your art. Thank okay. you. Okay. All well, right. Well, happy holidays. Here yeah, here we happy are. New Year, everyone, and happy holidays. Um, it's been it's been quite an adventure. And we look forward to 2018 and what it will bring for Psychologists Off the Clock. So I really appreciate you, Debbie, and sticking with it with me and look forward to the year ahead. Likewise. Okay. Okay. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. 
You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.